All right, now we're going to go into the Bible. So if you have your Bible, grab it. If you don't, go ahead and grab your app. Uh, I'm going to be in the English Standard Version this morning, the ESV, if you want to follow along. If not, if you don't have a Bible or your app, that's fine. We'll have the words up here on the screen for you. Uh, and like I mentioned, guys, we're a church plant. We're brand new. Like, and it really does feel like God is birthing something. Like, those of you moms in the room, you know what it's like <laughs> to give birth. You, uh, you know that uh, it can be messy. You know that it can be very unpredictable, like not having enough chairs potentially. But either way, you know exactly what it's like to give birth. And, and I'll be honest, I think there are few things more beautiful than when God births something new, something brand new. Uh, I remember I was in the room for the birth of both of my daughters. I have two daughters. Uh, good God, was I in the room. Um, I had a front row seat. Uh, and I remember that when they came out, like, I remember the moment, <laughs> I remember the moment that they were born. And I remember their, like, egghead, you know, like, I remember holding them. But I remember, I remember looking into their eyes and just being like, man, this little girl's precious. But I remember, I remember thinking, like, what will she be like? Like, what's her personality going to be like? What's going to make her happy? What's going to make her sad? I mean, we've been waiting for her for months, you know? And then she's finally there. She's finally there, and we get to discover what she's really like. And in the same way, I'm so excited to discover what this baby church is going to be like, made up of unique and precious people. I'm stoked. Um, and here's the thing, like, I know I'm not the only person with an inquisitive mind and, in, like, what people are going to be like. Uh, it's funny, the other day, this hit me the other day, I'm, I'm in the grocery store, I'm standing in the line, and it, it, all of you have been to the grocery store standing in the line, and you see, the, like, the tabloid magazines towards the left, right? Those tabloid magazines exist because we're not content with just simply knowing that someone exists or that they're famous. Like, we actually want to know more. Like, we want to know more about J-Lo's relationship. We want to know more about JT and his whole deal. Like, we want to know more about people. We want to know what they're really like. We have these inquisitive minds. Today, we're going to go through a story in the New Testament. It's one of the most famous stories of all time, okay? And it's one of my favorite passages of Scripture. It's one of my favorites because it beautifully answers this question what is God really like? And I would, I would argue that there's probably not a more important question to be asked. Chances are, if you're in this room, you, can, you have some belief in God, okay? So I, I think I got you on the first question, is God real? But I think there's honestly an equally important question. If he's real, what's he really like? So go ahead, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. That's where we're going to be today almost exclusively Luke chapter 15. And while you're flipping there, I'm going to pray for us, okay? Will you join me? Uh, Father, thank you for your grace again and your goodness. Um, I thank you for these precious people in this room. Thank you that every single one of them matters to you. 
And I pray, Lord, that you would uh, encourage us this morning, that you would challenge us. Uh, I really want to honor my friends and my family in this room. So I pray that whatever comes out of my mouth, if it's not of you, would you like shut me up? I really uh, want you to be glorified, Jesus. I pray that you would give us eyes to see you as you truly are and ears to hear you. Lord Jesus, we love you. Be with us. Encourage us in your holy name. Amen. Okay, so Luke chapter 15, we're going to start in verse 1, okay? Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. The hymn is Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes, they grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he, Jesus, told them this parable. Pause for a second. You've got to understand this point in Jesus' life and this point in Jesus' ministry, like he's done some pretty spectacular public miracles, okay? He has, he has casted demons out of people. He's healed the sick. He's healed the lame. He's given sight to the blind. Like he's even raised people from the dead. When miracles happen public like that, word kind of travels around, Okay? So you have all these people that have at least, they've at least heard about what Jesus can do. So they're, they're inquisitive. What's this Jesus like? So you have this, this flock of people, right? This a bunch of people who they're crowded around Jesus, and it says you have tax collectors and you have sinners, okay? Basically the social outcasts, all right? And you also have another group. You have the Pharisees and the scribes. This would have been the, the, the moral and religious elite, Okay, they're better than you, they're better than me. <clears throat> so you have these rule breakers and you have these rule followers and they're all huddled and gathered around Jesus and then Jesus goes into this parable. Okay, he goes into this story about a lost sheep and then he follows it up with another story about a lost coin and then he tells them the famous parable of the prodigal son. Now a parable is basically just a story. Okay, it's a story that, that, that's used to illustrate something, to make something uh, like more clear to the listener, okay? more real to the listener. And if you're familiar with Jesus and his teachings, you know he taught in parables all the time. This is like a, a tactic, a strategy that he used when he taught. And sometimes his listeners would totally get it. Sometimes they would understand. And other times they wouldn't get it at all. And Jesus would say things like, uh, he who has ears, let him hear. And he said this because he knew that only those whose hearts were truly open to him would understand what he was actually saying. And now this parable that we're about to read, listen to me, like not everybody in the room is going to find this parable, this story, like mind-blowing or even that entertaining. But for some of you, This might just be the best story you've ever heard. So, it's one of my favorites, uh, and I know a lot of you probably have heard this story many times, but you're stuck with it because it's one of my favorites, so we're going to go into it. Okay, really quickly before I keep reading, pay close attention to the three main characters in this story, okay? You have the dad, you have the younger son, and you have the older son, okay? I'm going to keep reading. Let's go down to verse 11, okay? Here we go, verse 11. And he, as Jesus, said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that's coming to me. And he divided his property between them. 
You see, in those days when a father, when he died, the sons, only the sons, would inherit his property, okay? So keep in mind, the property back in those days, like that was the extent of your wealth, okay? Your property is like your livelihood. It's everything, Okay, this is before mutual funds, this is before Bitcoin, this is before all that. Your property, your wealth is completely wrapped up into your property. Are you tracking with me? Not if you are. I I preach terrible if you guys are quiet. Yes? Okay, there we go. And here's the thing. Being the oldest son, being the oldest son had the perks because you got a double portion of the inheritance. Okay, so for instance, uh, in this case, there's two sons, right? So the older brother got two-thirds of the property of the inheritance while the younger son got a third. Are you tracking with me? Okay, so it paid to be the older son. But here's the thing. The division of the wealth, it only happened when the father died. And here, this younger son, he asks for the inheritance now. Like, this would have been incredibly shocking to the people who are listening to Jesus' story. I mean, the younger son, he basically is like, hey, pops, I don't give a rip about you. I don't care. Like, in fact, can you just die already? Like, please, like, I don't care about you. I just want your stuff. As a dad, like, I put myself in that shoes, and I can't think of anything more absolutely devastating than one of my daughters coming to me and saying, hey, I don't want a relationship with you. I really don't care about you. Can we pretend that you're dead so I can have your stuff? It's rough. It's basically saying, I wish you were dead. Let's pretend you aren't here. Give me my inheritance now, old man. Again, keep something in mind. The inheritance is the dad's property, right? And the dad's property is his livelihood. It's how he and the rest of his family survived. So this is an outlandish request, okay? Very unkind, let's put it that way. But... Despite the pain and the devastation of the father, he gives him what he asks for. He gives the son what he demanded. Let's keep reading verse 13. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had, and he took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. Those of you guys who are familiar with the New Testament, you know it was originally written in Greek. Okay, and sometimes when Greek gets translated into English, there's some things that kind of get lost in translation, at least some depth. Okay, our translations are awesome, but there's some depth that we lose. And in the original Greek, the word gathered there, it indicates that he converted all the property into money. Okay, so Pops gives him his inheritance, he takes it, then he sells it, takes the money, and then goes. Okay, so he gathered, he converted all the property into money. And then also the word there for reckless, when it says that um, he squandered his property in reckless living, The word for reckless, it indicates both morally and financially reckless. So the son basically sells all, like his his share of the father's property, he sells it off, takes the money, and he basically like heads to Vegas to party. To go a little wild, okay? And the dude parties hard. Like he's getting bottle service at the club. He's getting all the like nicest designer drugs. He's going for it. That didn't land at all. Okay, let's keep going. I was watching a couple of you, and you were like, should I laugh for him? And you guys were like, "Uh, I don't know what designer drugs are. Okay. Now, here's the thing. It tells us later in this story, but apparently this guy had quite the appetite for, like, hiring prostitutes, okay? 
the gist is this. He's going wild. Like, he's going for it. He's partying hard, okay? Like, everybody's favorite theologian, Ricky Martin, he's living la vida loca. I'm gonna keep throwing the jokes. You have to laugh at them, okay? His hashtag on social media, hashtag YOLO. He's, he's living his life as though it was only one. Let's keep reading. Verse 14, the guy's partying. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. Really quick. The younger son, he runs out of money. I mean, you can picture it, right? Money dries up. All the friends that were there that were stoked to be your friend when you're the guy paying the bar tab, man, they, they were like your boy. And then the money drives up and they're gone. Suddenly they're not returning the text message anymore. They're not answering the phone call. And what makes it worse is the timing here is terrible. Like a famine hits. There's, there's no food He's in trouble, man. Suddenly, this younger son, he finds himself in serious need. And he doesn't have anybody around him to help him. He's alone. I mean, maybe you know what it feels like to be in need. To be hungry for help or care or support, but there's nobody there to help you. I mean, it's a painful thing to realize that the people that you look to to love you actually don't. And they don't even really care. It's a painful thing to be abandoned. And something tells me that the father in this story, he knows how that feels. So this younger son, I mean, the guy's in bad shape. It gets so bad for him, he becomes super desperate. Okay, he takes a job tending to and feeding pigs. Now, this doesn't sound crazy to you or me. I, I love pigs. Uh, I love to eat them. I think they're tasty. I don't think they're the other white meat. I think they're the better white meat. I think pork is amazing. This doesn't sound that crazy to us, but to the, list, the people that are listening to Jesus' parable, this was nuts. This was outlandish. This was appalling to them because the Jews, like in their law, it said, cursed is he who feeds swine. Swine is pigs. So this would have been forbidden in like every way you can imagine in their culture. It would have been forbidden morally. It would have been forbidden socially. And it obviously would have been forbidden religiously. This younger son is making desperate moves. He's making huge compromises. He's alone and he's really hungry. For those of you uh, extroverts in the room, that's like your worst nightmare to be alone and to be hungry. Let's keep reading verse 17. <clears throat> but when he, this is the younger son, when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned before you and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Just treat me as one of your hired servants. 
So the younger son, he has this epiphany. He hits kind of that rock bottom, that cliche phrase, right? He has this epiphany. And he comes to his senses. He's like, like he knows his dad's hired servants. Like they might not be high rollers like he was when he was all like, you know, had all the, 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 the inheritance. But these guys have plenty to eat. Their needs are provided for. So what he does is he makes this plan to go back to the father. And he, you know, he's, he's, a mat, like, he's thinking about it. He's, he's rehearsing his, his I'm sorry speech, you know, like not only did I sin against you, dad, but I sinned against God. Like I was wrong. Uh, I know I've kind of thrown my sonship out the window. Like, will you just have me as your hired servant? So, I mean, you can picture, right? It says he, he heads back home. So he's on this journey. And imagine with me, he's on this journey. Like, any of you guys that fly, you know that, like, unless you have something to watch on the airplane and if it's a long way to go, you're, you're out of your book, you're out of your, you know, your movies aren't there, you're just left alone with your thoughts. You can see, I can picture him on this journey like rehearsing his I'm sorry speech. Verse 20. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Friends, there is so much beauty in verse 20. Oh, it wrecks me every single time. It says that his father saw him when he was still a long way off. So you can picture it. Pops like waiting on his porch. Day after day, his eyes like fixed to the road. Maybe just maybe my boy comes home today. Waiting wanting his son to come home. And then one day, in the distance, he notices something. God, that looks like my son. Oh my goodness, that's him. If it was me, I'll be honest with you, I'd withdraw. The father has every right to withdraw. I mean, the son completely rejects him. I wish you were dead, give me your stuff. But he doesn't withdraw. No, it says when he saw him, he felt compassion and he ran to him. Friends, you gotta understand something. Older men in this culture did not run ever. Okay, I mean, even in our culture, like, <laughs> maybe, for, maybe for sport, maybe. But they certainly did not run First, central, first century uh, Middle Eastern culture, okay? <clears throat> you got to understand, like, uh, men in that culture, they would wear these, like, ankle-length robes. So in order for him to run, he'd have to hike up that, essentially like a skirt, showing his knees to run. This would have been considered incredibly shameful in their culture. But I love, the father didn't care. He didn't give a rip, man. He saw his boy. Friends, there are times in life when an emotion so dominates your heart, you don't care what you look like. So the father, he runs to his son, and it says he embraces him and kisses him. Some of you guys have heard of Charles Spurgeon, famous preacher, English guy. He says this. He says a better translation of the Greek would be he kissed him much. 
It's this idea of kiss after kiss after kiss. Even before the son who rejected him even says a word. Verse 21. And the son said to him, here comes the I'm sorry speech. Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat it and celebrate for this son was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. So again, you can imagine the younger son, he goes into his I'm sorry speech but before he can even finish Before he can finish what he wants to say, the father interrupts him and he says, he goes, hey, servants, bring my boy, he asks him to bring him four things. Bring my son four things. Bring him the best robe. Friends, this would have been the father's robe. The best robe in the house is dad's robe. Bring bring him my robe. So all the son's shame, all of his sin, all of his rejection, covered, clothed in the Father's love. And the second thing, he says, bring my boy a ring for his hand. This is like the equivalent of his dad's debit card. All the, um, all the resources, all the authority that belong to the Father, now the Son gets credited with that too. The third thing he, bring, he tells them to bring is shoes. They were sandals, right? Sandals were a sign of wealth. Servants, servants weren't allowed to wear sandals. They didn't wear sandals in the household, okay? But sons did. In fact, only sons did. And remember, he's going to his dad to make it, he's making an appeal, will you just hire me as a servant? And his dad says, no, you're my boy. You're my son. And then the fourth thing, the fattened calf. Um, there's a pastor in New York City. His name's Tim Keller. He wrote an amazing book on this parable. Uh, regarding the fattened calf, he says this, quote, listen in on this. In that society, most meals did not include meat, which was an expensive delicacy. Meat was often reserved for special occasions and parties. But no meat was more expensive than the fattened calf. To throw such a feast would have been something that happened only on the rarest occasions. And likely the entire village was invited. Word spread quickly and soon there was a full-fledged feast going on with music and dancing all to celebrate, listen to this, the restoration of the younger son to life, family, and community. Friends, the fattened calf meant the best party, the biggest celebration. Like, needless to say, the father is stoked that his boy is home. He's thrilled. Now, for the sake of time, we'll come back to the younger son in a minute. I I want us to get introduced to his older brother, okay? Verse 25. Now, his older son was in the field. And he came and drew near the house, and he heard music and dancing. Okay, imagine in your head, older son's in the field. He's working. He's taking care of the father's property, not squandering on reckless living and prostitutes. He's out in the field. He's working. And as he approaches the house, he hears music 
and dancing and celebration. He's kind of bewildered. Verse 26. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he, the servant, said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. Uh, to entreat is to like, uh, to like earnestly request, okay? So his father comes out, earnestly requ- requests him to come into the party. Verse 29, but he answered his father, look. Uh, again, the Greek word there for look, it's way more deep than you'd see here. The Greek word there, it basically is like really confrontational and disrespectful. So like, like, look you, like he's like, almost like he's pointing in his face, okay? So like, look you, pops, like these, these many years I've served you and I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him? And he said to him, son, you're always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and to be glad for this, this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. So the father, he, he, he pleads with the older son, come join the party. Come in, come join the party. But in his anger, the older son refuses It's kind of funny how, like, our reactions, they reveal things about us. Earlier in uh, the book of Luke that we're in now, in chapter 6, Jesus says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's this idea that, that what we do externally is motivated internally. So the older brother, his anger, it shows us what's really going on in the guy's heart. He's angry, he's unkind, he's disrespectful. And he's angry, unkind, and disrespectful because in his own words, unlike his younger brother, he never disobeyed. And yet in his proper behavior, it didn't even get him a goat let alone the fattened calf. You see, on the outside, the two brothers, they seem totally different, right? Older brother, younger brother. I mean, the younger brother, he's clearly rebellious, obviously. The older brother, I mean, he's definitely the more moral one. But the truth is that they are very, very similar. Can you see it? See, at a heart level, the older brother is guilty of the very same thing that the younger brother is guilty of. He didn't care about the father. He just wanted the father's stuff. Does it sound familiar? Does it sound like his younger brother? See, each of these brothers, they show us the two primary ways that we as people seek the desires of our heart Rebellion and religion. Rebellion, it's this idea that I am my greatest authority, so I do what I want. Like, I lie because it's convenient. Like, I do what I want. 
I get drunk because I like the escape. I do what I want. I mean, the list goes on. Sexuality. I do things my way. Friends, even when it comes to Christianity and the church, don't tell me what to do. I, I do things my way. I'm my greatest authority. That's rebellion. Okay, religion, on the other hand, is the idea that my moral behavior earns me my heart's desire. So here's the thing. Like, you can be an atheist and be very religious. You can you cannot believe in God at all and be the most religious person in this room. Because religion is all about my performance. Religion says that my moral behavior gives me the, the right to demand what I want. I, I see this oftentimes. Um, yeah, I'm going to share this. Uh, I see this oftentimes with dating younger couples. So I was counseling this young girl recently, and she went on a date with this guy. She should not have gone on a date with this guy, but she went on a date with this guy, and he like paid for the whole date, dinner, dessert everything, and then at the end of the night, guess what he wanted? You can use your imagination, right? And when she said no, he reacted the very same way that the older brother in this story reacted. He got angry. He got mean. Because what he did earned him something. He paid for dinner. I know that's disgusting, but that guy has a religious heart. Whether or not he's following Jesus. Are you tracking with me? So here's the thing, friends. Both religion and rebellion are ways of assuming control. Rebellion exercises control by saying, I'll do what I want to get what I want. And religion exercises control by saying, I do this moral thing, or I don't do this immoral thing, therefore I have the right to demand what I want. God, I read my Bible and I go to church, you have to bless my finances. You see? <clears throat> but here's the thing, guys. You've got to know this. <clears throat> you need to understand that both re- rebellion and religion are both unloving. Because each of them at the core is centered on me. And did you know that sin at its most basic form is selfishness? It's I choose me over you. So you can do something on the outside that looks wonderful, like buying a woman dinner. But if your motivation is to get something from her, you didn't buy her dinner, you bought you dinner. It's unloving. It's sinful. Like sin literally destroys everything. It wrecks and ruins absolutely everything. Selfishness, destroys the fabric of creation. And both of these brothers were incredibly selfish. So I'm going to close with this. I'll call the band up if they're even in the room. Maybe they're helping with kids too. If you're in the band, come on up. I'm going to close with this after I take a drink of water. Are we doing okay? I'm almost done. Okay, so it's pretty obvious, right? Like the father in this story, he's meant to depict God. That's a clear one, right? And each of the brothers, they reject the father in their own way. But here's my my question for you this morning. And hear me say this, everybody. Take gender completely out of the equation. 
Which brother are you? Maybe you're like me and you're both. It just kind of depends on the day. And let me just say this. If you're having a hard time kind of figuring out the answers to that question, gosh, which brother do I identify with? I don't really know. Can I propose to you that it's probably the older brother? I mean, which, to be honest, it's far more dangerous. I mean, the younger brother, he knows that he's alienated from the father. Like, he's aware. He knows he's wrong. He knows he's messed up. But the older brother, he doesn't see anything wrong with his condition. He's blinded by his pride. He can't see his, his selfishness. He can't see it. He can't see his sin. Friends, if, if you know you're sick, you will go to the doctor. If you don't know you're sick, or you refuse to believe that you're sick, you won't. And eventually, over time, what happens? You're not going to make it. But like I said in the beginning, this is a story about what God is like. But the thing that tells us the most about what God is like in this passage isn't even the story. It's the person telling it. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Friends, Jesus came not just to tell us stories about what God is like, but to show us what God is like. And the Bible says God put on flesh. It says Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Jesus himself said, if you've seen me, then you've seen the Father. He said, I and the Father are one. Jesus didn't just tell us what God is like. He showed us what God is like. And how does he show us? I have to read this to you. Romans chapter 5, it tells us. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. I'm going to read this. Listen in, okay? Listen to this. For while we were still weak, while we were rebellious, while we were religious, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. Listen to verse 8. Listen to this. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Friends, the cross, the cross shows us what God is like. God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, shows us what God is like. Not just with the stories he tells, but with his behavior, with his, with his actions, with his deeds. The cross, it shows us the grace of God. I know it's hot, Listen to me right now. The cross shows us the grace of God. He gets the punishment. We get the pardon. He gets the pain. You get the peace. It's grace. And not only does the cross deal with our sin, not only does it wash us clean, forgive us, but check this out. The cross has the power to bring us home. 
You remember in the story, the father, he sees the son down the road. He sees him while he's still a long way off, right? And then it says that he met him on the road, and it says he kissed him much. Kiss after kiss after kiss. Father, I've sinned, kiss. I don't deserve to be your son, kiss. Every word that came out of the son's mouth interrupted with a kiss. Each confession was met with a kiss. Friends, it was the kisses of the father that ushered the son back home where he belonged. Listen to me. The cross is the kiss of the father. The cross is the kiss of the Father. Whenever you forget his love, whenever you think you've gone too far, whenever you feel ashamed, whenever you feel the true weight of your sin and how disgusting it really is and how it destroys everything around us because you're just as selfish as me, the cross says it's paid for. Kiss. The cross says you are loved. Kiss. The cross says that you're so bad that God had to die for you, but you're so loved that he was willing and glad to do it. Kiss. The cross is the kiss of the Father. And it has the power to restore you. It has the power to bring you back home into your Father's arms where you belong. Into the eternal party of enjoying him and his radical love. My friend, do you have ears to hear this? Statistically, some of you won't be back. I'm okay with that. Do you have ears to hear the most beautiful news in the world? That the cross of Jesus Christ is the kiss of God the Father on your face as many times as you want it. Over and over and over and over and over and over. Friends, we're planning a church. The church is the family of God who know him as father, who experience the kisses on our face that we don't deserve. It's not a business. It's not a brand. It's not an organization. It's not a building. It's not an event. The church is the people who experience the kisses of the father that they don't deserve. And there's nothing greater. This church exists to enjoy what God is really like together. And to invite other people into the party of enjoying the Father's love. So I want to invite each and every one of you to join us, to journey with us, to come and join the party, to come and rejoice in a love that you cannot earn, a love that you do not deserve, but a love that nevertheless is real. And hear me say this, it's available to you. It's available to you right now and later today and tonight, and tomorrow. My friends, what is God like? He's holy. He's patient. He's gracious. And he has a stubborn love for his kids. I'm going to pray for us. Will you join me? I'm going to ask you to stand. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your unending love. Thank you for your kisses. 
I pray for every man, woman, and child in this room that their life would not come to completion without fully experiencing the kisses of the Father. His grace, his kindness, his love. You really are unlike any other person, any other being. Your love is not like other loves. I thank you that we're not like isolated in, 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 in like in, in our experience of you, but we get to actually experience you together. You adopt us into a family. Oh, your grace truly is unending. I pray for those who struggle with rebellion. I pray that they would see that the Father is waiting and he wants them, that they matter, and that there's nothing they could ever do that would be too far gone from the Father's love. I pray for those who are religious, that they would see that their performance really is futile? Would you give their heart a desire to just receive your perfect record instead of trying to earn a perfect record themselves? It's impossible. Holy Spirit, we wait on you now. Would you fill the heart of every person in this room who has ears to hear? Would you fill them with the reality of your deep and unending love for them? And when they doubt, would you, would you show them pictures in their mind of the cross? It was personal. I pray that you would show us that there's another way, not the religious, not the rebellious, but the way of Jesus, to live for the benefit of others, to not be selfish, but to embrace grace and love and sacrifice, not in order to earn your favor, but because you've already given it to us, Father. I love you. I thank you. What a special day, Jesus. You deserve so much glory and praise. We respond to you now in your holy name. Amen.